Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it may be, wherever you are. My name is Craig Hagan, and you're listening to the Rainbow's Weekly Podcast. I'm sitting here with T-Mac on a wonderful fall day. Yep. I guess it's starting little, to feel like it a little bit. Starting to feel it. We're still in the 70s, though. Yeah. You know, we're actually recording this program as of September the 14th. Oh, so October the 14th. Sorry. You know, I, I missed a month. <laughs> Now, you know, some of you don't know, we, we've been re- pre-recording a lot of programs and dropping them now, but, you know, we're, 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 we're back almost live, yeah. you know, about a week off. Anyway, how are things going, Tony? Going good. And I want to give a shout out to Seth, uh, I believe he's Turnbow, uh, in Ridgely, Tennessee. He told me this weekend when I was preaching in Tennessee that he loves the podcast. He loves the so podcast. Hello, so, Seth. Hey, Seth, how you doing? And thanks for listening to the podcast. And, you know, we, we do appreciate all our listeners. And if you want to drop us an email, um, it's a podcast at rhema.org. Rhema spelled R-H-E-M-A. Or you can hit us up on Facebook and Instagram at, um, at Rhema Podcast. Um, and we need to get a little better with our social media. Our social media guy is really falling, falling down. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's me. So, <laughs> so um, you know, really falling down a whole yeah. lot. I've been traveling quite a bit, so it's been, been really, really falling down on the job, you know. You know, I actually, full honesty, I can't even get in our Rayma podcast email right now. I got to go with the IT guy to figure out. So if you've written to me over the last couple of you know weeks or whatever. He's not ignoring you. Yeah. But also, we are on a campaign to get Doug Jones on the podcast. Yes. Yes. I had that discussion with him this morning. Yes. And so are, yes. are we still going to email him? Hey, we are still emailing him. He said, please stop. I said, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's D Jones <laughs> at rayma.org. And yeah. I want you to say, Doug, please get on the podcast. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it would I, mean, be. I would suggest you maybe even manipulate him a little bit. I mean, like you're, maybe you're suicidal or something, and he's <laughs> your only hope. Yeah, yeah. He also likes Reese's. Um, like, well, well, he prefers Oreos. He does okay. like Oreos. Yeah, and, and, and he it's does a, like Reese's. It's yeah. always his birthday, so you know, yeah. if, if you want to, his birthday is this month. I think it's Saturday. Yeah, boss's it's day and his birthday, same year. I told him he come out of the womb. He was it was anointed to tell people what to do. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have Kirk Dubois once again on the program, part two of where in the world are we? Um, you know, we're, we're trying to look at the Bible and trying to, trying to, you know, not that Kirk is the all-seeing, all-knowing one, but we're trying to figure out where we're fitting in, in, in today's you know, society. You know, obviously a lot of things are going crazy right now in this world, and people always want to know, well, where are we at in, in Bible times? And so we did part one last time, and we're going to do part two and talk about, uh, are we talking about tribulation or are we talking about rapture? What are we talking about today? We're looking Kirk? for yes. Brandon. Yes. We're looking yeah. for Brandon. Yeah, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, between our last podcast yeah. and this yeah, let's one, go Brandon. Um, Brandon won a NASCAR race. Yeah. And so, yeah. so, so we're. we're, we're yeah. oh. Got Brandon Airlines now, too. Yes. So. Anyway. And anyway, go ahead, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Dr. Kurt Dubois, he's one of our teachers here at Is Brandon the Antichrist, Dr. Dubois? <laughs> Boy, that might be for another whole other podcast. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, so. Well, can I tell you the other day I said, let's go bring it in my class, and someone walked out. I don't know if they were mad at me or just had to go to the bathroom. Well, see, my, my, in my office over there, they're so not in tune with, with current affairs. I had to give, I had to school them on that. I walked through the office for three days saying, let's go, Brandon. Nobody had a clue what I was talking about. I just ordered my T-shirt yesterday, by the way. Anyway, okay. go, go ahead, Dr. Kurt Dubois. All right, on that note, <laughs> well, uh, you know, there's no way we can cover everything in, in one, one or two podcasts. But, so, but I did want to touch on a couple of hot topics because thanks to social media, 
there's a lot of smorgasbord of goofy ideas out there, and there's a there's a resurgence of some things uh, that are uh, causing certain things that we've believed to get a bad rap. And one of them is the pre-millennial, pre-trib or mid-trib views get a lot of bad rap today. When and so I want to just touch on a couple things, maybe to give people some ideas of where they can do their further study. But there's a there's a doctrine out there called preterism. And preterism is the belief that all the things in Daniel that were prophesying about the end times and the, and the man of sin, the Antichrist, was actually fulfilled between the 700 uh, B.C. and into the first century A.D. Yeah, yeah. But there's a problem with that because, well, first of all, you know, there's, there's three candidates. There's Antichicus, the Greek Syrian guy that came in and defiled the temple and sacrificed swine on the temple and so forth. But the, he couldn't qualify as Antichrist because... Uh, the Antichrist was prophesied about from the apostles and even John himself, so that was way after Antichicus. But then the other two candidates are Titus in 70 A.D. <clears throat> and then Herodon in, um, in 135 A.D. Both of them destroyed the temple, destroyed uh, part Jerusalem, and one of them set up a temple to an idol of Jupiter on the Temple Mount. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say that that qualified to be the Antichrist. But there's a problem with that because... Well, First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, John says, You heard that the Antichrist shall come, and even now there are many Antichrists in the world. And then Paul talked about in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 9, that there's going to be a man of sin that will be revealed who will sit, sit in the temple and declare himself to be God. Now, that wasn't uh, Titus or Herodian because... They, first of all, if they would have declared themselves to be God, they would have been in direct competition with the emperor. And uh, But also Paul goes on to say that this person that does this, that it says the Lord will destroy with the brightness of his coming. So this Antichrist person is going to be in the earth when Jesus comes back. So it couldn't have been any of those other three historical figures. And then, but even the church fathers uh, bear that out. Well, first in Revelation chapter 19, the Antichrist is there, called the beast, that tries to fight against Jesus when he comes back with his armies, the, the host of, you know, I believe that's us coming back with him from heaven. Second coming. The second yeah. coming. So we see that this person then that's referred to as the Antichrist is somebody that will be on the earth in the last days. It's not a historical figure, but, but, but John said in chapter, 1 John chapter 4 that there are, there are, even though we know he's coming, there are many Antichrists. So there are always candidates in the world that could act like that, but there is a man of sin coming in the future, and he will be here when Jesus returns. And even the church fathers, after way after 135 A.D., after the, the other guy destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem, Justin Martyr said around 160 A.D., he said, Jesus will come from heaven with glory when the man of apostasy who speaks strange things against the Most High will venture to do unlawful deeds on the earth against Christians. And then uh, Irenaeus, another church father from around 180 A.D., said when he comes, he will reign over the earth for three, three years and six months. And uh, Hippolytus, one of the church, actually the very first official church historian whom Eusebius quotes, but he said after 62 weeks, the times will be fulfilled, and for one week he will make a covenant with many. And in the midst of the week, the sacrifices and oblation will—he's quoting Daniel. And then he talks about that, that there will come 
There will remain then one week, which we call the tribulation, in which Elijah and Enoch will appear, and in the middle of it, the abomination of desolation will be manifested. This is the Antichrist announcing the desolation to the world. So this is from about 205 A.D. So these were, these were people, church fathers and historians, uh, along with the scriptures, that were telling us that this man and this event called the tribulation is still to come. So we know that it was not something that took place in the historical past, though there were many copies of what could have been. So that's a doctrine called preterism, though, but we, we hold to what's called premillennialism, which we believe, well, the, one of the definitions is, it, in Christian eschatology, it's the belief that Jesus will physically return to earth, the second coming, before the millennium, a literal thousand-year golden age of peace. The doctrine is called premillennialism because it holds that Jesus' physical return to earth will occur prior to the inauguration of the millennium, or the thousand-year period. Right. Now, most every one of us fall in, well, we all fall into that premillennialist camp, but in, within that camp, then you've got pre-trib, mid-trib, yeah. and post-trib. Okay, so so then we get into the rapture. Now, now the 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 both the preterists and some of the post-trib people. I, would I, I do want to say that I fall into the I don't know trib. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or there's the pan-millennialist. Oh, it'll all pan out. It'll all pan out. <laughs> but I do know one thing: when he comes back, we will know it. Yeah. But uh, so, so then uh, in the premillennial uh, group, then you've got pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. So then the people that uh, are post-trib are preaching against criticizing the so-called rapture theory. And the, the most popular thing you'll see out there, you can, you can Google it, and you'll find out that the most popular argument comes out that this rapture doctrine was invented by yeah. John Darby in 1830. And that goes on to give a story about this person had a vision, and, and that's where this whole doctrine of the rapture came up. Funny thing, Paul talked about it in 50 A.D., 51, 52. Right. Yeah, just and, didn't use the word. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the word rapture just comes from the Latin Vulgate. Uh, Jerome actually translated it to use the word blessed hope there in, in, the, in the, one of Paul's writings and translated as rapturo mm -hmm. in the Latin, which means to, uh, catching away. But... Uh, but here, so is that something, some doctrine that was just invented in the 1800s? This is from 100 to about 160 A.D., the Shepherd of Hermas, which is a well-known early church writing. He talks about the fourth vision that he saw after the former vision came to me. It was a type of the impending tribulation. And he saw, and I'll just skip through because it's pretty long, but he saw this woman, and, uh, and he asked you know, to the angel, who was that? And he said it was the church. And then he said, uh, she answered me and said, he did, did nothing meet you. I said to the lady, no, a, a huge beast that could have destroyed the whole people. But by the power of the Lord and by his great mercy, I escaped it. And this woman said, you did, you did escape it well because you did cast your care upon God and did open your heart to the Lord. Believe thou that you can be saved and nothing else nothing by nothing else but by his great and glorious name therefore the lord sent his angel which is over the beast etc thou hast escaped a great tribulation by reason of thy faith and because thou sawest so huge a beast you did not doubt in your mind go therefore and declare to the elect of the lord his mighty works and tell them that this beast is a type of the great tribulation which is to come if therefore you prepare yourselves beforehand and repent and turn unto the Lord with your whole heart, you shall, you shall be able to escape it. If your heart be made pure without blemish, and, if, and if for the remaining days of your life you serve the Lord blamelessly, cast your cares upon the Lord, and, and so forth. So there we get the first, you know, one of the first mentions in, right there in that uh, second century of a promise of the church to escape the coming tribulation. But it goes on. Here we got 270 A.D., 
roughly between there and 300 AD, a bishop of uh, Patu, his name was Victorianus. He said he saw another great and wonderful sight in his commentary on the book of Revelation. Seven angels having seven last plagues, and in them complete the indignation of God. And these shall be in the last times when the church shall have gone out of the midst. So this idea of the church escaping the coming tribulation is not something that was developed in the 1800s. Well, and I find it interesting that, that Paul, when he writes his two letters to the church at Thessalonica, yeah. about six months apart, in First Thessalonians, as he first begins to deal with both those letters, he deals with things concerning the rapture and the second coming because people's coming behind him telling them other stuff. Right. They think Jesus came and they missed it. They think that people that died aren't going to go. Um, but he tells them in there, and I don't have my chapter and verse in First Thessalonians, I, and he was only with them for three weeks, that first to go around when he planted that church. Three weeks. Yep. New believers. Paul's only there as their teacher for three weeks. And he tells them in that first letter, I taught you these things while I was with you, just like I do in all the churches. Yep. And I'm thinking, what are we doing? We're right. not teaching this to new believers. No. And, and most of us aren't teaching it at all. Paul says, I taught it to you. and, and along, So his, his gospel message embodied the rapture of the church. Exactly. Well, the, the other thing is, um, <clears throat> you know, the post-trib people have what I call a U-turn, a U-turn eschatology. Because Jesus comes down, gathers us with them in the clouds, and then we come, make a U-turn and come back down to earth. Now, we're going to go eat supper first. Well, see, but the, <laughs> the point is, you know, he said in John 14, I, Behold, I go to pre prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself right. so that where I am you may be also. There's no doubt about that he's talking about removing us from the earth and taking us to heaven. So if, if there was only a second coming where he came down out of heaven, then that doesn't fit. Nope. Because we have to first be in heaven to come with them on the white horses out of heaven. You. Right. And the first thing we're going to do is go back and eat supper. Yeah. <laughs> then we're going to saddle up and come home, come back that's, and that's deal with That's because we're full gospel, yeah. so we're going to yeah. have to have gonna be all the stuff. <laughs> here's my doctrine. All the stuff at the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven will be all the stuff the Jews couldn't eat because it was unclean. So there's going to be ribs, and pork chops, <laughs> shrimp, catfish, all that stuff because we're, we're, we're redeemed. And <laughs> what you're referring to basically is First Thessalonians um, chapter 4 where, he, where Paul says to, that we should live to please God. And he says that these are things that we, we taught you when we were there. And then he goes on to talk about the hope of the resurrection and talked about, you know, people who have died before us and right. all these kinds of, that's what this is what you're mm -hmm. referring to every chapter yeah. in first Thessalonians uh, either the last verse or the next two he closes it with with things about looking forward to the yeah. return of the Lord Jesus yeah and and that's actually referred to as I mean back to the, the city is that Thessaloniki this today it is yes. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. that's I've actually been there and I'm um, seeing the streets um pretty cool to think about you know yeah. you know in Jesus's time and all that kind of things, you know, it's, it's, I really enjoy, you know, like I said, you know, a lot of, I haven't actually been to Israel, but been to Greece. And, well, that's one of the few cities that has survived from Bible times. It's still yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. And you can see all, and it's actually very well preserved. Um, certain areas, um, certain areas are not because they built the city on top of it, but there are certain areas where you can, where you can see. Mm -hmm. and it's yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. Was, you're probably there at Ramah then. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah we so we actually have a campus have a there. there. Raymond yeah. Thessaloniki. Yeah, I was there um, too. It's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome to, to know and, and to, to visit some of those places. And it's you amazing. know, one of my favorite things actually, not, I know this is getting off subject, but was over you know in, in Philippi, you know, and mm. um, you know going that, that way, and you know, it's just just pretty pretty awesome to see all those things. To see the jail. To see the, the jail. And yeah, the river yeah. where the lady. Yeah, you know, where the they river. Prayer yeah. every day and all that. Yeah, yeah. and because you know, and, and the deal is, is you, you go back and read the Bible <laughs> and thinking about you know yeah. all those kind of things. And you know, when he was in, in prison, just before he wrote all those letters, and so we don't really realize if he would have never got out of prison, how much of the New Testament we wouldn't have. <laughs> right. So anyway, back 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 to the end times. <laughs> well, you know, um, there's a writing called Ephraim the Syrian from 306 A.D. to 370, 373. That's the period of time he lived. And uh, so this is accredited to him. Um, but the exact date, some put it a couple hundred years later, but it really doesn't matter because it shows that this idea was not something from the 1800s. But he said this, um, for the all the saints... For all the saints and elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation that is to come and are taken to the Lord, lest they see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of our sins. Mm. That's pretty plain. Yeah. Then Jerome in 400 AD, he's the one that, that coined the term rapture out of the Latin uh, in the Latin Vulgate. But then we come up to the 1300s. There's a guy named Reverend Dulcino. Um, he said, again, Dalsino believed and preached and, and taught that within those three years that he and his followers would, would, uh, will preach the, the coming of the Antichrist and that the Antichrist was coming into this world within the bounds of those three and a half years. And after he had come, then his followers would be transferred to paradise, and which are Enoch and Elijah. So uh, this, and this way they will be preserved unharmed from the persecution of the Antichrist. You know, another guy in, uh, in uh, he also said this at that time. Then Elijah and Enoch will themselves descend to the earth for the purpose of preaching against the Antichrist. Then they would be killed and, and then raised up on the third day, and so forth. So they, obviously, they believe that Enoch and Elijah were the two witnesses during the tribulation. But then we go down 1400 A.D. and certain Bible translations in the native tongues led to a new propagation of the the pre-trib rapture uh, idea. Uh, because they began to translate the word rapture there uh, out, of the, out of the Latin. And then uh, the guy in 1627, Joseph Mead, he used the word rapture in his sermons. And then in 1639 through 1723, there was a guy named Increase Mather. He was a pastor, a scholar, and the first president of Harvard, mm. Harvard College. Wow. He said that the saints would be caught up into the air beforehand, thereby escaping the final conflagration. The president of Harvard. And uh, then in 1687, Peter Jurio, in his book on the approaching deliverance of the church from, from 1687, taught that Christ would come in the air to rapture the saints and return to heaven before the battle of Armageddon. He spoke of a secret rapture prior to his coming in glory and judgment at Armageddon. Okay, then we go to 1700, John Askell, who wrote the book uh, about translation without seeing death, the rapture in other words. And then Philip Doddridge in 1738, in his commentary on the New Testament and in John Gill's commentary, both use the term rapture and speak of it as an imminent occurrence before the tribulation. It's clear that these men believe this coming will precede his second return to earth. And so, you know, um, there, we can go to 1744, a guy named Morgan Edwards, the clearest reference to a pre-trib rapture before Darby 
comes from the American Baptist pastor, educator, and historian Morgan Edwards. He's also the founder of the Ivy League school, Brown University. He saw a distinct rapture three and a half years before the start of the millennium. So he was a mid-trib. Mid-trib. He wrote about his pre-trib beliefs as a student in 1744 and later published them in 1788 in, a, in an essay titled The Two Academic Exercises on the Subject of Bearing the Following Titles, Millennium and uh, so forth and so on, big long title. But, but uh, so it goes on in 1792, a guy named Thomas Scott uh, and another guy, James McKnight, they taught that the righteous will be carried to heaven where they will be secure until the time of judgment is over. And then we come to 1830 where John Darby's sister had this vision about the rapture. So by no means did this rapture idea right. come from the, from the 1800s. It goes all the way back to our early church fathers. That Whether they were pre-trib, meaning seven years or three and a half years, they still believed the church would be removed before the judgments came on the Antichrist and his kingdom. And those last three and a half years is, you know, the, the times of sorrow, the great tribulation. That's the great tribulation. That's when the Antichrist actually comes into power. The mm -hmm. first three and a half years, there's wars and battles that he's trying to consolidate his power. Yeah, you just need a vaccine card during the first three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, praise the Lord. So, you know, here's the thing, too, and I, I, did, I don't, we don't probably have a lot of time to go into this, but if you read the book of Revelation, you'll find out that at the end of the tribulation, when the people that come to fight against Christ with the Antichrist, they are killed, and, and they, go, they end up in hell and wait till after the millennium for their judgment. The Antichrist is thrown immediately into the lake of fire. But there are whole nations that come into the millennium, yeah, and right. they have they married, they have children for a thousand years. There you go under the dominion of the uh, the administration of Christ over the whole world. So that tells me if there's going to be whole nations come into the millennium at the end of the tribulation, that not every nation is going to follow the antichrist. It's he will rule the known world of 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 that time, which is the old Roman Empire. And if you put the beast that Daniel shows us and the kingdoms they're associated with, and you see the same beast in Revelation, you've got the Roman, the Greek, the uh, Persian, yeah. and, and the uh, Assyrian kingdoms all intermingled there. And uh, actually, you know, Dakes in his Bible says the Antichrist kingdom will come out of the revived right. Roman Empire, but his will be the revived Greek Empire. Greek empire mm -hmm. then. So these are all nations that are currently surrounding Israel, the Middle East, uh, and half of them are Muslim. Most of them are Muslim right now. Which also brings in a whole new And they're thing. looking for their guy. And they're looking yeah, for that. That brings in a whole, a whole new situation back with Abraham, you know, and Ishmael. So, you know. Yep. You know how sometimes when you try to help God. <laughs> don't help God out. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you get some things in a mess. So, you know, I, I am pre-raptured. Pre, Pre-tribulation rapture. I believe it. I believe it's seven years. I have my reasons. The 70th week of Daniel. Some people think half the week's already been fulfilled. But if you, if you read the book of Daniel, it says 70 weeks are determined upon your people and for the holy city to finish the transgression and make an end of sins. All right? And then he goes to, and he talks about the 69 weeks. And at the end, at, says at the end of the 69th week, the Messiah would be cut off. That's when Jesus was killed, crucified. And then he, so that 70th, that last week is still remaining. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. some people believe Jesus was, was cut off in the middle of the 70th week, but not if you're reading Daniel here. It says after three score and two weeks, he will be cut off. That's the 62 weeks after the first seven weeks. So that's 69. That still leaves one week left. And then it goes in there talking about the prince that will come, will make a treaty and all this during that seven-year period. So I really believe that there is a seven-year period coming. 
I believe that we're going to be gone before that time, uh, you know, uh, if not pre-trib, at least mid-trib, because we're not destined to wrath. Paul said we are not destined to in wrath. First and in the, in the last three and a half years particularly, this is when the judgments are poured out on the earth, the wrath of God. So I don't believe... Plus, after chapter 3 of Revelation, you don't see any mention of the church. I know a lot of people try to read the church in there, but you don't see any mention of the church after chapter 3. And it's the church that holds back the Antichrist. Uh, that's the other thing. The, the hinderer, the one that right. hinders is, is keeping him from coming forth, according to Thessalonians. So, and then once you get into chapter 4 of Revelations, it starts with, he sees a door in heaven, he hears a trumpet and a voice saying, come up here and I will show you what must happen after these things. And in mm-hmm. the Greek, it means after these things have gone away, the church age. And from that point on in Revelation, all the language refers to Israel. You have the 12 tribes, the Lamb, right. you have Mount Zion, you have the temple, the ark. You have all these things that refer to Israel, plus you have the plagues of Egypt. You have the water turning to blood. You have the locusts. You have the, the darkness, and you have the sores breaking out. All the ten plagues that hit Egypt are now being done in, the, in that whole kingdom of the Antichrist. Well, and that's interesting because if you go all the way back and study that, that in context, in Exodus, those plagues, every one of those is a direct confrontation with a God, a God. so-called God they worship. That's right. Uh, and that's interesting. Those things are brought right back up. So, uh, in Revelation. So I believe that this 70th week, because remember Daniel, he said to Daniel, concerning your people, it's going to be 70 weeks to finish the transgression and deal with your, and your people and the holy city. So this is about Israel. And that 70th week was put on hold when Jesus rose from the dead because we're in what's called the church age. And what, but that, that I look at it this way. If you're watching a movie, a DVD, you, you pop it out. When you're almost through with it, you pop it out and you throw in another movie because maybe your wife wants to watch a girly movie, you know. <laughs> and then when you get done with that, you pop it out and you put yours in and finish the last part of it. So God popped out. He's got the, the 70th week on hold while we're in this called the church age. Mm. But once he's done with the, the, the call of the Gentiles into the church age, then that, he's going to pull that one out again and then pop back in the last week to finish with Israel. So the Hallmark movie is going to turn into a Halloween movie before it's over. Exactly. You're telling me? Yeah. Well, I think if you follow Hallmark now, they're already starting to turn on that <laughs> <laughs> because they're getting a little bit weird there. Yeah. But anyway, but so, you know, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that he's coming for us and then he's coming with us. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my father-in-law used to teach a lot on this in the Sinners of God when I was coming up, and he was kind of a short fella, and uh, and he would uh, he would talk about us coming back with Jesus riding on those horses, and he said, you know, I hope the Lord can find me one with short stirrups, a, Shet- a Shetland pony. <laughs> <laughs> but there's another concept too, which I believe all fits together, and this is something you find in the early church fathers' writings. And you find it in the Book of Enoch. You find it in the Jewish writings. And it's based on what's called the 6,000 years, the 7,000 years of man, based mm-hmm. on 1,000 years as a day to the Lord and a day as a 1,000 years. And so there's this concept of, uh, and the Essenes, and the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls has really brought out a lot of things that connected the Old and the New right. Testament, right? So they believed that there was the 2,000 years uh, of the age of innocence, and then there was the 2,000 years of law from Abraham through Moses. But then they believed on their calendar, based on Daniel's 70 weeks, 
the Essenes said that the age of the Messiah would start around A.D. 75, or actually the, the, the Essene calendar showed the Messiah being cut off around A.D. 32, and that that would be interesting to a 2,000 year of the age of the Messiah. They also, interestingly enough, called it the age of grace, mm. the Essenes mm. and the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's very likely those guys are the ones raised, some of them raised John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist, I've been to Qumran and I've mm-hmm. listened to their spiel, and they actually mentioned John the Baptist because mm-hmm. it's in the Dead Sea Scrolls that he visited their community. Okay, yeah. So, and it's right there by the, by the baptism right. site, you know, up the road a little bit from where they baptized. So it's very interesting. But they had this whole concept of a, a messianic age for 2,000 years that would start around 32 to 75 A.D. that would last 2,000 years and would be called the Age of Messiah, wow. Age of Grace. Wow. And then when that was over, they would go into the 7,000 year, which we call the millennium, which to them would be a, a Shabbat, a Sabbath rest. Right, right. So all these things are pointing to the time we're in right now. We're bumping up against this stuff. Ooh, wee. And I, that's why that gives me great hope because that means... On God's calendar and on God's agenda, it's not the Antichrist, it's harvest. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's a worldwide revival. And I believe in the next three, four, five years, we are going to see such a massive Holy Ghost move of God around this world, harvest like we've never even seen. Well, and that, that brings up something else. Because if you follow some people's uh, theology and eschatology, I mean the church basically in a nutshell gets so sick and emaciated Jesus finally has to come for a rescue operation right. before the Antichrist. Right. Well, that's not the way I read the Bible. No. Uh, we're a victorious church. Uh, he's always been about harvest. And so that just exactly what you just said. We are on the precipice of a mighty move of God to sweep in a harvest like has never been known in history before and he returns. I think I mentioned this last time that, that – um, you know, some people need to take their end-time theology and put it on a shelf if yeah. it's mm-hmm. keeping them from getting engaged in our world. Because well, Paul, talk, uh-huh. it, it, if, if your end-time theology, basically, and to paraphrase Paul, doesn't, doesn't produce hope, throw it out. Throw it out. It's the wrong thing. But also, if it doesn't get you engaged, because right. he said, occupy until I come. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light. You're the hinder to the Antichrist. Right. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. That's an, we're yeah. offense. Right. And he said to preach the kingdom and demonstrate the kingdom. And yet you got people saying, because of what's going on in our current situation, well, the Antichrist is coming, we're all going mm-hmm. to hell, and yeah. the nation's going to go down, so we just wait till Jesus is coming any minute to get us. It's like, that is not the concept that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell. Shall not Certainly the world's going to get darker and darker. Certainly, yes. But yeah. that does not include the church. It does not. He, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the yeah. church. Never. Yeah. And, and that brings me up to another subject, the whole reason behind Rainbow Bible Training College. Go. Exactly. I mean, you know, you know, my grandfather, you know, when, when the Lord told him to start the college, says that one of the reasons for Rainbow Bible Training College is to, is to train laborers for the end-time harvest. And it's very important, I think, now that we train laborers. And so some people are out there saying, what can I do during this last generation or whatever it might be? Well, one thing you could do is learn to be a laborer. You know, whether you just want to learn more, if you feel called to the ministry, some, some people do. Some people just want to learn more about the Bible. You know, they want to have classes, you know, like, like Dr. DeWaz, you know, talking about and, and learn about the things of God. Rama Bible Training College, rbtc.org. I mean, it's a wonderful place. Um, you know, you can come in January or in September. We have intakes there. It's the most affordable Bible college in the nation $3,050 for an entire year. It's a two-year school, so $6,100. That's, her, that's your entire tuition. includes books. 
I mean, there are some people that pay a thousand dollars for books alone for every semester. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, Raymond Bible Training College. If you'll just go to rbtc.org, you or someone you might know, you might you might know someone. I don't care if you're 18 or 82, because some people think, well, well, I'm. 38. I mean, I, I can't go to Bible college. I mean, we've had students of all different ages. I mean, some people, like I just talked to a, 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 a kid, I mean, just the other day, fixing to graduate from high school in, in um, Kansas City, Missouri, he called me and he said, Craig, I, I'm coming to Raymond when I, when I graduate. He didn't even know Raymond existed until a few months ago. And so, um, you know, just, you know, he, I'm coming to Raymond. And so, um, you know, rbtc.org, if you'll go, go there, um, you know, give us your information. We'll have one of our student ambassadors give you a call, talk to you about Raymond, try to set up a tour, maybe come for a college weekend, which actually this weekend's college weekend. You, well, we're recording this weekend. This won't air until after college weekend. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just a wonderful time. And Well, thanks, Kirk, for you know, kind of talking about where we are in, in Bible times today. And so, um, you know, here at Raymond, we're bringing hope, hope help, and healing to the world. world.